Amen. That's a great video, isn't it? All right. So, how many how many recognize this? I'm on a mission from God. How many recognize that? I now I know how old everybody is. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't recognize that, there was a there was a movie a bunch of years ago. I, I was I was too young then. I saw it on YouTube. But anyway. Um, there was a movie a bunch of years ago about these two brothers who uh, who were blues singers, and uh, they they drove around. I believe it was Chicago. They drove around Chicago making mayhem, and they're telling everybody, "I'm on a mission from God. I'm on a mission from God." And they're trying to raise this money, and in the end, they're raising this money for an orphanage. But what they do in between, it's like uh, kind of defeats the point, you know. But um, anybody ever feel like one of the blues brothers sometimes? Well, I hope so this morning, because you're on a mission from God. Did you know that? You're on a mission from God. The, the message, we're going to look at the third chapter of Jonah this morning. And the, if there's one point, I'll, just, I'll give you the point from the very beginning here. It is, if there's one point I hope we can take from this, and that is, is God is calling us to take responsibility for the mission. God desires us to take responsibility for the mission. Now, I find it really interesting, you know, as, as uh, Lorena was praying this morning, uh, Lord, if there's something hard that we need to hear, may we hear this this morning. I'm going, oh, Lord, I didn't want to be the one to have to say something hard, but I appreciate the prayer. But, you know, sometimes we really need to stop and examine ourselves because it makes that much of a difference. It really matters that much. You see, what the whole book of Jonah is about the whole thing beginning to end, God is concerned about sin in this world. How many know God is concerned about sin? I mean, it starts off, he, he gives Jonah a mission because he's concerned about the sin of Nineveh. He doesn't desire that Nineveh be judged for their sin. He desires that someone go to him, go to them, and, and, and present that message. And then, and then you've got Jonah himself, who God has to, to deal with through the whole book. You know, first his actions, then his attitudes, and, and not, uh, but finally he does, but he doesn't do because he should. I mean, he does because he, he has to. Uh, and, and then you've get, you get, what's interesting is you get characters like the sailors, who sailors who recognize, oh my goodness, God is good, God is just, Lord, Help us to do what is right. You know, don't, they're afraid of being guilty of throwing Jonah in the water, right? And, and so the whole book is about understanding the just nature of God, his merciful nature, and his faithfulness to mitigate between the two. And the desire that he has to see Jonah take that message. You see... What's really fascinating about the book to me is this, is that while Jonah is doing this in Nineveh, this is in the, the, about the 8th century BC, there's another prophet, his name is Amos, he was, he was from the southern kingdom of Judah, and he's up in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he's going around Israel saying the same thing, guys, you need to return to the Lord, you need to return to the Lord, and that's the whole point of this book. The whole point of this book is here's this violent, evil, wicked city, Nineveh, who repents, and Israel, who's supposed to be be his people with a message going to them who don't. And out of all this is God giving us his heart. And so the point for us, our takeaway, the thing I hope we get is that, that 
He's given us that responsibility to carry that message. Take the, are you willing to take that responsibility? God has a mission he desires to accomplish in this world. How many of you know that? God has a mission he desires. See, you know, this, this thing we call the Christian life, it isn't something just to make us feel good. It, it isn't something just so that we can deal with our problems and have a, have a way out. It isn't something so that we can just hold on, you know, waiting for a better life in the afterlife. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to to transform a people who needed to be transformed into his family to be his God's imagers on earth. He has a mission to accomplish, and he wants you and I to take responsibility to accomplish that. So let's read through the, the third chapter of Jonah together. It's only 10 verses. And let's see what we can find in there together. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 says this. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God, for they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he proclaimed a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Amen? Wow. You know, if there's one thing that um, just moves me over and over and over again is when I, when I see, hear, experience, I hear testimonies of when God moves in somebody's life— and, and they know it. They have received the grace and the mercy of God. They, they, they get it. it. It just, it moves me to no end because I have seen and experienced that mercy in my own life. If there's anybody that shouldn't be standing here today, I say like Paul, it would be me. I don't stand here today as someone who says you I stand here today as someone that says us. Not because me, but because of how great he is. He wants to reach this world. And he wants to do it through you and through me. So let's take a look at this. Let's break this down. Let's look at these first two verses. So first of all, I want to look at the very first verse in, in, uh, of the book. Jonah 1.1, 1, 1, it says this. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. Do you see that? Uh, go back one 
slide. Should be one slide before that. Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. Is it not in there? Did I not send it? Sorry if I didn't. This is the second Jonah. I'm on a, sl- uh, a slide called the second Jonah. And there's one co- this. So let me just say it, to, give it to you. The very first verse of the book. There it is. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Do you, does everybody see that? You see that? Now notice what it says. Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now let's turn and go to Jonah 3.1. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Wait a minute, wait a minute, something changed. Did you see what changed? What did it say the first time? Jonah, the son of Amittai. What does it say this time? Jonah, the second time. Now there's something really fascinating going on here. Because in the Hebrew, the, the, the word time is added in the English. In Hebrew, it just says second. This is Jonah second. That's all it says. Now, it's not wrong for the translators to have added that word time. It kind of smooths it out. But there's a double entendre that's going on here. The first time the word came to Jonah, what did he do? He hightailed it up and ran and went the other way. Now the word's coming to Jonah a second time, and we have a second Jonah. He's been giving a new chance. This is alluding to that whole concept of born again. If we, if we get to the end of, of chapter 2, what does Jonah say in verse 7? When my life was fainting away, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you in, into your holy temple. He's, he's in the belly of the whale. He's in, facing death. And he says, those who pay, pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. We've got a different Jonah this time. There's a new Jonah. He's willing to do what God has asked him to do. How many see that? Because what's he do? As soon as, as, soon as, uh, as, soon as he comes out and, and, the God, and God speaks to him a second time, he immediately goes, okay, headed there. Now, I mean, you know, maybe if you and I got swallowed by a fish, spent three days in the belly of a fish, you know, we might be a little bit more submissive. But let's not take away what's happened here. There is a point in which he says, yes, I will do. But we also don't have a perfect Jonah, do we? He's not a perfect Jonah. And if there's one thing the Bible does. If we're going to understand we have a mission from God, we need to understand who we are. If there's one thing the Bible does, it talks about the reality of who we are. On the one side, what does it say in Romans? It says, I know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. Jesus died for you. Jesus took your sin away. You are no longer a slave to sin. The moment you step into him, you become his righteousness. You enter into the grace and the salvation he has for you. He has wiped the slate clean. He has empowered you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has called you into all of the righteousness and goodness that is him. And we get excited and we go out and all of a sudden this old stuff comes out. Wait a minute. I thought I wasn't enslaved to that anymore. You aren't, but you still have to deal with it. And see, the Bible's not afraid to deal with our humanity. I am no longer enslaved to it. I am no longer uh, under the power of it. 
But that doesn't mean I don't have to put it off. It doesn't mean it won't try to come back on me. Because in the same way it says I'm no longer a slave, Paul writes this to the Colossians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On the count of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Hey, have you come to Jesus? Are you still walking in what you were to put off? Are you still walking in the things for which the wrath of God is coming? He's saying, put that off. That's not your identity. It isn't who you are. Put that aside. He says, but now we must, we must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. He has created us to be his imagers, to reflect him, to be his image in the world. That is the mission we have. And can I tell you, in a very real way, in a very real way, you struggling with that is a light to other people. It's always best if I can do right first, right? It's always best if I can be kind first. It's never good to, 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 to let that flesh out, on, you know, puke flesh all over people. That's never good. But when I turn around and I go, oh, God, what did I just do? And I go to that person and I say, you know, I screwed up. I blew it. And I own my actions. I what? Take responsibility. And I say, you know, what I did was completely wrong. And you know, I call it the 95-5 principle. How many know there's the 95-5 principle? Here's how it works. One person does 95% and the other person does 5%. And when I don't, you know, when, when now... When I am 95% wrong, I don't have the right to go to that other person and say, you know, if you hadn't have done this or because this happened or because that happened, then I wouldn't have done this. And I'm really sorry, you know, because what I gave with one hand, I take away with the other. But then there's the other side, right? Suppose I'm 5% wrong and the other person's 95% wrong. You still don't have the right. Take responsibility for you. You know, when I did this, the moment I say, well, because you did this or because this happened, I've just excused myself. I've just put the responsibility on you, not me. Well, what does Jesus say on the cross? He had 0%. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He took all the responsibility, though none of it was his. We have a mission. Now, the good news is you don't have to be perfect to have a mission. You don't have to be perfect, and that's the point of Jonah here. That's the point. All right, Jonah. Verse 2, it says this, the message I tell you, the message I tell you, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against, against it the message I tell you. Now, here's the thing about the, the, the mission God's given us. We don't get to choose the task. 
Oh, but God, you want me to love that person? Do you know what they did? Oh, but God, you want me to go there? Do you know who they are? God knows who they are. We don't get to choose the task. We don't get to choose the mission. This was the whole point. Jonah ran because he didn't like the mission. Part of taking responsibility is you take a hold of what has been put in front of you. We are responsible for the tasks that are presented before us, even if we are prejudiced against them. Let me say that again. We are responsible for the tasks that are put in front of us, even if we are prejudiced against them. Imagine the change you will affect around you when you say, God, I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't know how to go about this, but I will do this because you have put this in front of me. Help me. Help me. Oh, God, help me. Jonah 3.3, 3. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days in journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city a day's journey, and he called out yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So this is a commercial. I'm going to give a little commercial right now. There's a whole lot of details in here we're not going to be able to talk about in here, but we're going to have Connect Group next. So I'm inviting you all to come to Connect Group. Because we're going to get into some other stuff, and it'd be a great time to connect with people maybe you haven't met before, talked to before. So come join us next, and we're going to get into some of these details we're not going to have time to talk about this morning in this. And we'll have a, we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. So come join us. But I'll just say there's a lot of treasures in here. But let me keep going. God had a message. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, let me say something about this message. There's a lot that's been talked about about this message. Well, why was it so short and all this? You know, invariably, the message was longer than what he gave. But there is a literary thing going on here. I'm going to give you one little tidbit here. There's a literary thing going on. That word overthrown, right there at the end of it, Nineveh shall be overthrown, has two meanings. It has two meanings. One meaning is overthrown. The other meaning is turn around. In Jonah's message, a double entendre going on. In 40 days, Jonah, I mean, Nineveh is either going to be judged or turn around. That's the message that's actually in the Hebrew that's there. It's really cool when you see it. But here's the point I want us to get from this. Taking responsibility is not a small thing. It matters. Even if it doesn't matter to you, it matters to Nineveh. Taking responsibility is no small thing. You matter. You make a difference. Anybody ever heard this phrase here? You know, uh, we've had some conversation. Anybody heard this phrase? I can't change anyone. Oh, I can't change anyone. Really? You don't think you can change? Then exactly what was Jonah running from? Exactly why did he run away? He ran away because he didn't want to be the change instrument. Do you not believe you can change someone? You see, change comes by the power of the Spirit through human cooperation. Change comes by the power of the Spirit through human cooperation. 
The moment you say, I'm going to let somebody else take care of it. Why do I need to bother with it? There's other people. There's people who are more qualified. There's people who are better than me. I've got other things to do. You have literally just taken everything God has put into you carefully chosen and said, it doesn't matter, God, what you have done. Even if you were to go and find a a, a desert island somewhere far away from everyone else so that you could say, well, I'm going here so I can't be a, a bad effect on anyone else. You literally have taken all the gifting. You literally have taken all the skill, all the intellect, all the amazing aspects of who you are and said another human being doesn't ever get any of that. You matter. You matter. We don't know how much we matter, and that's the problem. The problem is we don't realize we matter. We don't realize how much we matter. But I have recently had two or three times where someone has come up to me and told me about something that literally happened 20 years ago that I just like, I was like, I didn't need, you know, sure, I remember talking to them, I remember interact, and, and them having incredible impact. Now, am I saying, you know, proud me and all this? No, all I was was an instrument, but I was an instrument. It mattered to them, even if I didn't see it, even if I didn't know it. The only thing it takes for evil to prosper in the world is for good men to do nothing. That was supposedly Edmund Burke said it. I've tried to find the the source for it. They're not sure who said it, but it doesn't matter. It's a fantastic quote. The only thing it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. The only thing it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. You see, it doesn't say for good people to join the evil. Doing nothing is joining. You matter. It mattered so much that God did what he had to that Jonah would fulfill what he was called to be to fulfill. It mattered so much that God took a message to, to Nineveh because he had a task and appointment for Nineveh. And he did what he had to that Nineveh would hear the message. So what is the message? This is, I'm going to take, I'm taking this from the book of Acts. This is chapter 10. The apostle Peter, um, uh, up until this point, the gospel had only gone to Jewish communities, uh, also to Samaria, which was kind of Jewish. And ask me about that in the connect group. We'll talk about that later. But anyway, it didn't go to the Gentiles. The message had not gone out to anyone who wasn't Jewish. The gospel hadn't gone out beyond that. And so Peter supernaturally ends up in the house of Cornelius. He's a, he's a Roman officer, an, op, uh, an officer in the Roman army. And Cornelius, because, you know, an angel told him that Peter's coming to tell him something special. He had his house packed. The house is full and there's all these people in here. And, and Peter Begins to, he's like shocked at how God is leading him. And Peter opened up, opens up his mouth and this is what he says. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem, um, and both in the, all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. But they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, what I want us to take from this sermon that Peter just gave, he just gave us three points of the mission to which we are called. Three points. Point number one was what? Jesus went about doing what? Anybody catch what Jesus did? He went about doing good. He went about doing good. God has given us a, the, a mission to go about doing good, to go about doing what is right, to find suffering and alleviate it. Find it in your family. Find it in your neighborhood. Find it in the, the city we're in. Find it in, in supporting missionaries who are doing it around the world. Maybe even ask God where he would have you go. But find suffering and alleviating it. We literally have human rights on earth today because Christians have taken the responsibility of the message of the gospel. Ask me more about that in the connect group. It is a fact. So number one, he went about doing good. Number two, he went about healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. He was anointed by power in the Holy Spirit. The moment we come to faith in Christ, the moment we submit and surrender to him, he not only washes us clean, he not only positions us with him and makes us righteous, he anoints us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are called literally to demonstrate the power and demonstration of his spirit. And I'll tell you, here's a commercial number two. You ready for a little commercial? Let me try to put music on. da 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 on Wednesday nights, coming up on Wednesday nights, starting in two Wednesdays, not this Wednesday, but the following, I'm going to start teaching through a, a book by J.P. Moreland. J.P. Moreland is a philosopher. The guy's a quintessential scholar, an amazing scholar and professor. So I say that because the title of the book would be like the last thing you would expect from him. He's a philosopher. He's one of the top philosophers in the United States. And the name of the book is A Simple Guide to Experiencing Miracles. And the subject we're going to deal with is, is how do you know if a miracle even occurs? What is a miracle? What isn't one? How do you know it's not coincidence? When can we say it's coincidence? When can we say it's not? What happens if I'm praying and God doesn't answer? How do we deal with that? How do we pray in ways that we can know God does answer? All of these questions and many more we're going to talk about. Because our mission is to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit in the world today. If you want a demonstration of it, my life is a demonstration of it. At least any part that's good. I'll take part for the bad stuff. But I have also seen 
answer after answer after answer of prayers that could have never been answered by coincidence. Literally medical miracles, doctors like befuddled, that can't happen. I was actually told by the doctor, that's impossible, that couldn't have happened. I had Barrett's esophagus. It was verified by biopsy. And I, they had to keep me on regular watch because it sets you up as a precancerous condition. And I had to go back for endoscopies over and over. But about the second, endos, second or third endoscopy I went back in, the doctor came out and says, man, I can't find any signs that, of, of Barrett's anywhere. He says, well, you must not have had it because it doesn't go away. I said, oh, yeah, it was verified by biopsy. When, then he real condescending. He goes, well, then you were healed. We're going to talk about that. How come sometimes people are and sometimes people aren't? Mission number two. Mission number three. Mission number three. Did you hear what he said? We are witnesses. They put him to death by hanging on a tree. God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen him as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The third part of the mission is that we are to speak truth. We are to speak the name of Christ. We are to bring the gospel. So we are to go about doing good as Jesus did, alleviating suffering. We are to demonstrate the power and and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And we are to speak the gospel and make the gospel known. That is how you transform societies and communities. The question is, are you going to take responsibility? He's given us the mission to save the world from the destruction to come. There's a destruction that's coming. That's what he said to Nineveh. There's a destruction that's coming. There's a destruction coming. You know, I had this conversation recently. There's a doctrine in Christianity um, and this isn't about whether it's right or wrong, but it's a fact. There's a doctrine that in, in it's not all in, in all of Christianity. It's, it's one of those where there's three or four options that you can pick from. But one of them is that, well, there's going to be this rapture, and then after the rapture there's going to be all this tribulation, or maybe we're going to be here during the tribulation, you know, and since the world's going to go through all this tribulation, what difference can I make anyway? Oh, my goodness. The judgment of God is coming what difference can you make? I think we need to stop worrying about the tribulation and start worrying about the judgment. There's already tribulation. May I submit to you, there's been tribulation from the time Jesus ascended until he returns. There's going to be tribulation. There has been tribulation. There will always be. The difference, make, the difference is that at one point, God is a long-suffering God, but he is not a tolerant God. There is a point in which he's going to say, it's done, it's over with. That should be a more concern to us than a tribulation. 
Because he is going to ask you, what did you do with the mina I gave you? He is going to ask that. So let's jump down to verse 5 of Jonah, back to Jonah. The people of Nineveh believed God. Now, the Hebrew, is, they smoothed it out a little bit. The Hebrew actually says believed in God is what it actually says. The people of Nineveh believed in God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself in sackcloth. Sackcloth like this hairy cloth material, really scratchy, um, considered something that was for poor clothing or work clothing. And he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. First and foremost, it hits me out of this, is God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're a king or a lamb. This message went to all of Nineveh. It went top to the bottom. And there was something else that's even a bigger picture here that I hope we can get out of this. So the king of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh was what? The government of Nineveh. The government of Nineveh. You see... We, we have this law in, uh, not this law, but this decision that was made by the Supreme Court uh, several, uh, couple of dec- several decades back that said what? That we have a separation of church and state. And we completely misunderstand what that means. We think that means that, oh, therefore I'm in the church, I have to shut up. Well, can I tell you, Israel had separation of church and state. You had the priests And you had the kings. The reason why you had separation of church and state is because the priests and prophets were meant to be the conscience of the kings. God was not concerned about what the laws of the land were. In fact, just the opposite. He was very concerned with what the laws of the land were. He said, turn away from your evil ways. Turn away from your violence. Guys, we are called to be the conscience of the nation. We are called to be a conscience to the nation. That is part and parcel. We would not be here. I'm telling you right now. Go look it up. We would not be sitting in this room right now had people in churches not been the conscience of the nation in the 1600s, 1700s, in the 1800s. Do not obfuscate the conscience of the nation to Twitter. Don't fear what the world might say. Fear what God might say. Are you willing to take responsibility? This is a message in Jonah. Jonah went straight in. He went top to the bottom. He didn't care if you were in government or if you were a farmer.
Now, there's a two parts to the responsibility in the message. Two parts. Number one, there was a turning of a heart towards God. They turned towards God. What, what, what re- repentance means, uh, what the words indicate is, is that I'm literally turned this way and I'm returning to him. The word repentance means to return to him because he is the ultimate beginning to begin with. We return to him. He is calling us to return to him. We are to call the nations to return to him. Why? We just read it. Peter just said he has appointed a day by which he will judge the nations. And he's not going to say, well, you know, the government law didn't allow it. Look, there's a way of doing this peacefully. There's a way of doing this like Jesus. But there's not a way of doing it without courage. The second part of turning to God was that they actually had to get rid of their evil ways. They actually had to just say, okay, that's violent. I need to not do that anymore. What is it that's going on in our world today? We should be on the front lines of how to treat one another. Of standing up for truth, of righteousness. You see... Guys, it's a mistake to think that you and I are morally neutral. Oh, okay, what, what, what do you mean morally neutral? You see, it's a mistake to think, well, here's something bad I can do, and here's something good I can do, and I'm just kind of in between. No. You are a free moral agent. You were created for love. That means love is an ought. You have the choice not to, but you don't have the choice of not having consequences for not to. We are called to be the righteousness of Christ, to take responsibility. And it ends with this, Jonah 3.10. It says this, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And, you know, there's a a lot been made of this. Oh, wait a minute. God said he was going to overthrow, and now he changed his mind. I thought God doesn't change. Let me answer this very simply, very, very simply. It's just like this. Because God does not change, he had to change his mind. Now, I know some people are scratching their head. What, what did he just say? I'm not, it's not doublespeak. It's not double. Stick with me. Because God does not change, he had to change his mind. The character and nature of God is love. That means in his character and nature, he is just. He is merciful. He is faithful. It exudes from his being. And so he offers to us 
the ability to come to him to wash, to cleanse, to pay for our sins. You see, justice will get served one way or the other. He offers to us the opportunity and he, and he responds to us by how we respond to him. He lays the offer before us. What do you choose? Just as Joshua said to the nation of Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When Nineveh was walking one way, their end was this. But when Nineveh turned and changed and said, we will go this way, their end became this. Because God will always act true to his character and nature, he will change according to how we respond to him. The question is, are we willing to take responsibility? God has given us a mission, and he desires, he has a mission, he desires to accomplish it in this world. He wants to accomplish it through you, Lorena. He wants to accomplish it with you. He wants to partner with you. He wants you and I to be the means that it happens. Are we willing? Mm-hmm.